Lieutenant Jim Gordon says that the violent billionaire Batman is the hero Gotham deserves, but what if, just maybe, Gotham deserves better? Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today we're joined by a special guest to talk about cops, specifically the many different ways police are depicted in video games from Bioshock to Resident Evil to, yes, Batman. That conversation, and of course, one more thing, coming right up. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Maddie Myers. And welcome hey. back to the show. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello to both of you. We're here again. Hello. Here we are again doing the show. <laughs> here we are. Um, thank you, listeners, for uh, for being cool, for sharing the show. Thanks to, to everyone who's been sort of spreading the word about Triple Click. That has been very nice. Also, I hope that we all hope that you all liked the uh, Final Fantasy VII Beans cast yeah. that ran the main feed. Um, for those, those who aren't members, we decided to put that out for everybody. So just to remind Mind you, future Beanscasts or bonus episodes that we do each month will be for members only, but that one we wanted to put out for everybody. Uh, we had a good time recording it, so we hope that you mm-hmm. all liked it. And yeah, if you want to become a member, of course, you can do so at MaximumFun.org slash join. And we hope that you do, because it helps make it possible for us to keep making this show. Yeah. Yep. Also, just to give you all a heads up, we wanted to tell listeners about Beanscasts ahead of time, if they're for games that they can already play, so that you can all play along and uh, be ready and sort of be caught up with the game in time for us to do it. So toward the end of June, we're going to do our June Beanscast on the video game Control, Remedy's Control, which we never managed to do a spoiler cast about back when we were making Kotaku Split Screen, but all three of us love. So we're going to be talking about Control for June. And then for July, you can probably guess what it's going to be, but we are going to be doing a Beanscast on The Last of Us Part 2, which we will have all finished. That'll be toward the middle or end of July. So you'll have that long to finish The Last of Us Part 2 if you want to listen to the Beanscast when it first comes out. All right, let's do it. Let's get on to this show's first segment. So we are also joined today by a fourth co-host, writer Evan Narciss, who listeners may know from his time writing for Kotaku and io9, his work writing Rise of the Black Panther for Marvel, and many other projects that he is currently working on. Hello, Evan. Welcome to Triple Click. Hey, guys. Good to uh, to, to see and hear you guys again. Um, it yeah. feels... Uh, Oddly familiar. Right. It's a reunion of, of people who now all don't work for Kotaku anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're talking about, right? Kotaku expansion. Mm-hmm. So we are doing a hot topic today, and our hot topic today is cops, specifically cops and police officers in video games and the ways that video games depict policing and police officers. The protest movement in the wake of George Floyd's killing by a Minneapolis police officer has brought new attention to the police and their role in enforcing systemic racism across our country. And as a result, that has provoked a lot of discussion about the role the media plays in the police's depiction and reputation. Historically, polls have shown that the police are generally pretty popular, though that has actually noticeably shifted in the last week. I've seen some polls anyways that have indicated that this is changing, which is nice to see. There is still no question that police get sympathetic, if not central, billing in a lot of video games, just as they do in a lot of movies and TV shows. We wanted to talk about how that is and how that works. So that is our hot topic for today. And I want to say up front, this is like a really big conversation. And the conversation we're going to have today is probably just a starting point for that. We're not, there's a million video games about cops, which is kind of why we're talking about this, but we're not going to be able to cover every single video game. So there's a lot more that we could probably talk about than we will on this episode. But we kind of each have one game as a sort of starting point, at least, to talk about. 
um, that we each sort of thought of. And I think I wanted to start with Evan's game since it's a pretty broad one. So Evan, your is, yours is, I guess it's a series, the Batman yeah. Arkham series. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about some thoughts about the Batman Arkham series and their depiction of police? You know, it's funny. Um, you know, obviously the, the Batman Arkham games made by Rocksteady and by Warner Brothers Montreal, um, you know, they, they take their premise almost wholesale from the comics, right? Which is Batman is right. avenging creature of the night that, you know, is the only thing standing between Gotham City and complete and absolute chaos. And uh, that he he's necessary because there's a, there's a metahuman, like, disproportionate threat uh, to Gotham City's safety, usually represented by the Joker or any of the other villains, right? You know, but the interesting thing about Batman as a premise, especially like the kind of latter day modern understanding of it, is like it takes as a given that Gotham City is broken, right? <laughs> like society in Gotham City is <laughs> yeah. broken. Like the normal infrastructure, like just isn't enough to deal with their crime issues. Um, you know, whether it's street level crime, you know. Um, or it's like super villain crime, you know, Joker level. You could argue you need a Batman for like the Joker, right? You need him. You like, like, <laughs> right. Commissioner right. Gordon and his boys are not going to get the job done there, right? Like, <laughs> but you know, if it's like somebody, you know, a, 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 a street level interpersonal crime on the street, you know, you, you don't necessarily need need Batman for that, right? Purse snatching, for example, yeah, <laughs> right, but yeah, exactly. Purse snatching, like Maddie just said. So, like, it, it's it's weird to think about that. And, you know, the classic, one of the classic critiques of Batman um, has been like, you know, Bruce Wayne's a billionaire, right? Like, uh, 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 right. He, and he, he still he, can't do anything else. Yeah, all yeah. he can manage to come up with. Why don't you find a <laughs> mental health initiative instead of beating up criminals? And, you know, like, look, there have been lots of comic writers and, and, and editors that have, you know, at least try to make them an element of Bruce Wayne's crusade to kind of make back Gotham City safer, right? So there has been, you know, at least lip service paid, some some subplots and whatnot um, um, initiated to, to that effort. But, you know, you're showing up to show, to, to, to see Batman punch people, right? And, you know, the right. Batman, Batman Arkham games are really good at that, you know? Like, you sneak around, you scare people, like, you, you, you misdirect. And, and, uh, you know, you swoop down and punch people. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, Batman ultimately is a super cop here, right? Like he's reinforcing the status quo, right? Which is, um, okay, Gotham City is teetering on the brink. I'm the only person who can really save it from, from complete and total chaos. And to do that, I have to have vast extra legal powers and a personal arsenal of all kinds of super insane military <laughs> tech. Oh, and by the way, my car is also a tank or is it my tank is also a car? I forget. Um, <laughs> you know, so he needs, he, he has this implicit cosign, um, um, by the people of Gotham city. Um, and you know, a, a grudging, uneasy alliance with the cops as well. Right. You know, like sometimes they like them, sometimes they don't, but they still got that flashlight on the top of their building that they turn on when they need his help. So mostly <laughs> they like him. Um, you know, so it's like, what's interesting about the Batman Arkham games is like, you start at the beginning of that series of Arkham Asylum, right? Which is like very much like a tight focused milieu for Batman to operate in, right? Like, like mm -hmm. it makes sense. That's where the people who are beyond the pale get sent. And yes, it makes sense if he operates there, right? But as you get further into it, you know, whether it's Origins or Arkham City, 
um, or Arkham Knight, you bring him into the city proper and you're like, oh, wait, there's nobody in this city. <laughs> like the streets are cleared, right? So who are the people you're protecting right. again, right? Like, so mm-hmm. th- that cosine that you kind of, that that is implicit, it, it feels even more problematic or even hollow without the people there. Like, who lives are you saving again right now? Because I don't right. see anybody on these streets uh, other than, like, right. the random off admission. Um, so that's one weird thing. The deeper you pull him into the city, into this ecosystem that he's supposed to be saving and helping, like, uh, uh, the more barren it feels, right? And, you know, like, it's funny that you mentioned, Kurt, some of the polling numbers for cops. My first reaction was like, well, who are you polling, right? Like, who are you asking? What's your sample group? Because <laughs> you asked some of my friends, we're not necessarily all that positive on the cop. Bing! Kirk here from the future. As I edit this episode, I realized that when I was setting up our conversation, I didn't actually cite the poll I was talking about, but that poll is a 2018-2019 Vox Civis Analytics poll that actually does show that a majority of respondents, black, white, and Hispanic, all had favorable impressions of the police, though significantly less favorable among the black respondents. The white respondents were at 79% favorable, 14% unfavorable. The Hispanic respondents were at 77% favorable, 20% unfavorable and black respondents were at 58% favorable, 27% unfavorable. So significantly less favorable, just like Kevin is saying, among the black respondents to the poll. And again, that was in 2018, 2019. And like I said, I've seen some polling just in the last two weeks that show that this is already changing remarkably quickly. All right, back to the show. Bing! Uh, so, and that's the same thing with, with, with having the lack of people, having the actual lack of like NPC Gotham City citizens in those games. You're like, well, who did you ask? Who said this was okay, Batman? Well, so that brings me to a question for you, Evan. Do you think that, like, inhabiting Batman, the ultimate cop, the super cop, and, I mean, really, this can be extrapolated to all video games, but do you think it makes the player, like, inherently more sympathetic of police? I mean, yes. You know, like, but but the thing thing that's so um, important and fascinating about this current, like, sociocultural moment that we're in, you know, with regard to a mass kind of... um, revolt and interrogation against a police brutality and its and its role in systemic racism is that like yes we are all fed from childhood um uh, a basic kind of um platform of propaganda about cops they're here to help you if you're in trouble you know i have a young daughter and i remember her police officers visiting her school and you know dropping off the coloring books and everything else like you know like, yeah, uh, if you're in trouble, if you get lost, find a cop. And I won't go so far as to say that part of a public safety function of cops is unnecessary, right? You know, like, yes, you want to be able to tell your kid to find somebody um, appointed and vetted by society at large that will help them in a time of need, right? What you don't want is that same person to have, you know, impunity um, when they cross the line um, in, in a social contract, right? Like, I want to be able to tell my kid, hey, somebody will help you if you're in trouble, or if somebody breaks the laws or the norms that we all agree to, like, some, you, you can rely on a person to help deliver you to safety and or justice, right? As it stands right now, the current iteration of cops in, in American society has, hasn't done a lot to foster that kind of trust. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, Jason, yes. The minute you tell somebody, 
be sympathetic, sympathetic with a person whose job it is to um, fight crime and keep people safe, um, you know, your, your mind immediately teleports to cops, right? Uh, um, and, but it teleports to that idealized version that we get sold as kids and the one mm-hmm. we want to believe that most, most, most policemen are. But, but, you know, you don't think about the ones that have been um, harassing and brutalizing people, protesting uh, uh, the, the oversteps that, that uh, other police officers have been doing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, not to mention the fact that it like legitimizes. I mean, Batman has a fucking bat, bat belt full of gadgets, military weapons that like now we are seeing in action. I mean, we've been seeing for for the past couple of decades that real police also have access to like like smoke grenades. Tear tear gas isn't quite as cool when a real cop is using it on peaceful protesters as it is when Batman is using it on a crowd of thugs. And it's a question of non lethal techniques. You can call something non lethal. But it, that doesn't mean that it's that it's yeah. great. I right? think it's it's. I hesitate to call it brainwashing, but it is propaganda. You know that 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 you're that is hard to kind of like uncouple from your brain. You know, look, if a friend of mine got into an accident, my first reflex would be to call nine one one. You know, like I think that it's weird that you call a number to have a cop with a gun show up right. a lot yeah. of the time. Like that's yeah. sort of like maybe there could be a number that cause somebody else to come. Right. So it's interesting that Batman Arkham Knight, which is a game that I revisited a couple years ago, that one is a, it's an interesting game in part because the idea is that Batman is losing his mind. So there's this almost kind of a deniability that the game gets into where because the Joker's taking Batman over, the ridiculous stuff, like this is the game where Batman holds a villain's head, a villain, a criminal's head, you know, under the tire and interrogates him while he like revs the tire and the tire gets closer and the guy's like screaming and it's super messed up. And the idea is that Batman's losing control throughout this game. And that's actually like the plot is like the Joker's in his blood and taking over yeah. his mind. And then eventually he like reclaims control. But it's kind of a thin veneer, especially when you talk about the emptiness that you're talking about in Gotham City. There's this subject. So, Maddie, I've been reading uh, The New Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander's book, which is an incredible book. And one of the really helpful subjects she talks about in that book is the idea that our society labels whole classes of people as criminals. Like, you become a criminal when you are arrested and put in jail, and then you're a criminal for life. Like, you lose so many rights and you're kind of segregated, and that's, that's kind of part of The New Jim Crow that she's talking about. And video games, especially the Arkham games, do this, where it's like everybody on the street in Batman Arkham Knight that you're like running over with the Batmobile is a rioter, like they're a criminal. And because games rely so heavily on strict categorizations, that guy's a bad guy, that guy's a good guy. Like it just has to, he has a green arrow over his head, so he's helpful, he has a red arrow, he's a bad person. Like they need to be very clear with things like that. It oversimplifies everything to the point where you start to realize that it's like you're viewing an even more intense version of the way that society has already been kind of set up by these structures. So it's reinforcing them without even thinking about it or questioning it just because that's how you have to design a video game. So I guess that's maybe my question for any of you is, is there an innate quality to video games that reinforces a sort of cop view of the world? (laughs) At least action games, you kind of have to, like a specific type of game. 
Um, Mm Because the game I was going to talk about, this is actually a good segue, is Disco Elysium, which is a game in which uh, you can be a fuck-up cop who goes around and meets a bunch (laughs) of people who aren't heroes or villains, but are all kind of, like, messed up in their own ways. And that's kind of, like, an interesting contrast to the, the, like, heroic cop shows and, like, the law and orders of our world, where, like, the the investigators are the good guys, because in this, you're kind of not. (laughs) Yeah, is there a game that's more opposite of Batman Arkham Knight than than Disco Disco Elysium (laughs) in every possible way? I mean, it isn't, it isn't, though, because I feel like that archetype also exists where you have this this detective character in TV or in Disco Elysium where even though they may be fucked up, maybe they woke up with a hangover, what have you, they still do get their man in the end. They still do solve the mystery and you're rooting for them to solve the mystery and mm-hmm. you want them to. And you maybe even think that they have a right to go above and beyond like like Batman does because yeah. you sympathize with them. You're playing as them in, in the case mm-hmm. of a video game and therefore you're willing to pardon them for doing some very reprehensible actions as a result because you know effects. they're right. Exactly. Yeah. So I would be interested in so since Disco Elysium is fundamentally a noir, I think noirs are generally better at telling truer stories about police officers than like cop shows and procedurals. Like, And I think since you can play the main character of Disco Elysium so many different ways, like you can be a like authoritarian racist asshole or you can be like a total anarchist like who essentially quits the police force and doesn't want to be a cop at all and then all these shades of gray in between but i do wonder how many people played different ways Mm -hmm. and how whether it was more common for people to play it the way that i kind of played it which was okay i'm gonna be essentially a good cop at the end of the day and i'm gonna solve this crime and like make kim kitsuragi like Mm -hmm. me and do it by the book according to the rules that are so familiar to all of us exactly yeah yeah. Because playing within those rules, it feels good in a game. Like th- That's part of why this can be such a damaging archetype in a game, because the right. system in a game is always going to feel safe to you, because it's a game, and so you mm-hmm. can only operate within a given system. And so by like yeah. having good guys and bad guys, even in something like Disco Elysium, where it's like, sure, there's some versions of it, but the story still plays out in more or less the same way no matter mm-hmm. what, and you're participating in the system to allow that story to play out, and you're rewarded by it playing yeah. out. Yeah. So I would say that it gives more humanity to the, a lot of the people that you can be oppressing in that game. Like, it gives a lot more voice to people who are like, you're such a, like, bootlicking cop, like, get out of my face. And it does kind of explore that a lot more since it, the views For of sure. the people who wrote it come through more. Mm-hmm. But you're right that in the fundamental structure, it's there. And then... Just so many games like Spider-Man or like games where or Batman, like any game that's structured like an Arkham game, your your job is to clean, literally <laughs> yes. to clean, right? I think it was Jim Rossingall, this is the game designer forever ago, did a thing about how video games are fundamentally, especially action games, about cleaning up. They're about mm-hmm. tidying up, I guess, because he's British. And how and I've always loved that idea. And there's the old like saying that cops like, you're gonna clean up the streets. We're gonna get out there and clean up the streets, which is like a really nasty thing to say on a lot of levels. It like implies that the people that you're cleaning up are trash, that this that this you know the streets need to be clean and free of people. There's a lot of like implicit racism in that too. And yet so many video games are about that, that when you're in like the Batman world, the only thing in between you and a perfectly clean and tidy and beautiful Arkham is, people. Um, you know, Humans. these people, yeah. <laughs> these people who are people. And like a lot of them are don't deserve to be broadsided by a tank, you know, right. the way that yeah. the way that you do. So let me segue here to the game that I wanted to talk about, um, which is Bioshock Infinite. And I kind of want to tell on myself a little bit. 
or um, share a sort of embarrassing take that I had on the game back when it first came out. Uh, so you weren't the only one. <laughs> oh, I mean, we all we all struggled with that game. Oh yeah, remember who wrote the review on Kotaku for that game? Ah, oh, that's true. I guess that's true. Um, so all right, well, I'll just. I'll... Oh man, I want to hear after Kirk goes. I want to hear your thoughts, kind of in retrospect, Evan. <laughs> Let's all tell on ourselves. For now, I'll I'll speak for myself and. So I had a take on this game that it was basically so violent that I just found the violence really jarring and shitty. Mm -hmm. And I sort of like didn't like that game for a lot of reasons. But a lot of my reasons, at least early on, were just related to the fact that the story goes so off the rails just in every respect, not just in the fact that it begins to like both sides a really clear imbalance in this conflict between this oppressive racist society and the underclass that they're oppressing. Mm -hmm. But like just everything, there's like ghost mom turns up and it just all goes to hell. And I was like, this is just kind of loses the thread yeah but so i, I kind of like when i played the beginning of that game it's so beautiful when you first arrive in columbia in bioshock infinite it's this beautiful setting it's so gorgeous looking the lighting and the music and the barbershop quartet singing you know god only knows and it's like just this wonderful experience and my take was kind of like ah oh, man wouldn't it be cool if video games didn't need to be violent and we could just live in that wonderful experience which is like okay whatever Kirk from 2013 like fine but talk about missing the way more interesting take and the truth of the matter which I now completely see and would see and I'm embarrassed to have missed it at the time which is like but this society runs on brutal oppression and it should be torn apart and like the fact that the first thing you do in that game is like violently run up against the cops is kind of rad like it's kind of great like it's like or it's at least you know a, a, a rational it's a reasonable response to this society once you learn the truth of it mm -hmm. and so I look at that game now and that first part is actually a very effective way of laying out and kind of like exposing that sort of viewpoint which I think a lot of white Americans in particular have is like I just want things to get back to normal I just want things to be pretty and nice because my world is generally pretty and nice and I had that same uh, reaction which I think is actually kind of revealing so that was that was my at least uh, a take on that game then versus my take on yeah. it now you know yeah so like I said you know as a caveat to what I wrote when I wrote it when, when I, I was assigned to write Bioshock Infinite. We don't all have to do the, like, mea culpas on our Bioshock Infinite coverage, but go ahead, continue. Yeah, I don't think you have to justify it. I was just curious to hear your perspective. Yeah, on yeah. The, you know, again, now. I, I, I played and wrote about the game the same way a lot of us have as reviewers, mm. under extreme duress sure. and lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah. and, right, right. And, you know, what I, what I have to say is not all that different than what Kirk just said, which is that, you know, Unintentionally or not, and I think some of it is intentionally, Bioshock Infinite is a kind of incredibly apt commentary on the process of America making myths about itself, right? You know, hmm. and mm -hmm. they do lay bare some of the hypocrisy underneath, for example, the myth of American exceptionalism, right? Like, yeah, the both sides of them is terrible, you know? But like, when you look at that game, it's like, oh, right. America is just an, an engine that constantly refreshes itself on telling him itself how awesome it is, you know, all the while marginalizing people, denying some other people rights, you know, uh, 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 creating a massive exploitative socioeconomic like reality that, that, that tramples people underfoot. But what you see is 
the God rays coming through the clouds. You know, what you see is <laughs> like the crazy roller coaster ride. You know, what you see mm-hmm. is like uh, uh, the, the time travel that glorifies certain parts of the history, but not other parts, you know? So like <laughs> in that way, I feel like, huh, you know, and that's what I was reacting to when I played the game. But like to your point, for sure, Kirk, Kirk it's like if your critique is reinforcing some of the things that you're critiquing, <laughs> um, that kind of might be a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're blowing yeah. it like that. You're blowing it. Bioshock Infinite is like the video game equivalent of those Venn diagrams that everyone was posting on Twitter where it's like, you can be okay with all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't, as it turns out. And to, to like specifically call out the both sidesism that we're talking about, it's like the fact that this game's major fuck up is that after there is an uprising and the largely black underclass of this racist city rises up violently and begins to overthrow their oppressors, the story then pivots and turns it into this thing where like both sides are equally bad and there are straight up lines of dialogue mm-hmm. about how like, oh, but like violence begets more like it's it, it yeah. doesn't have the actual view of how these things work because it, it kind of misrepresents the fundamental dynamics that were at play in the society in the first place. Yeah. And that is like a huge failing of the game. But I think it was easy, especially in 2013, at least for me, to to sort of overlook that or to miss it until I saw people pointing it out and realized, oh, yeah, that is kind of mm-hmm. fucked up. Like, there were people who missed it because yeah. of, like you said, all the other things that are going on in the game. Yeah, it's it's a very dense game that's full of things. Yeah, it is very easy to, to not think about that. And most people didn't. I think it was Lee Alexander who was, like, the first, at least the first I saw, to, like, really dive into that stuff and, like, really made me think about the game in a new way. Yeah, we republished that on Kotaku because I was like, okay, we need to get this on Kotaku because I want to I want to get that out there yeah I think it's also true that games that are that violent just sort of beget that sort of liberalist critique of being like oh well violence begets more violence right and it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of all violence is bad because that feels like such an easy statement to make and I think it's something that people still say a lot and probably feel a lot and at one time certainly 2013 Maddie wrote some takes that were along those lines that were like wow you know if every every if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail and that's how violent video games are whereas now I go so much harder and I'm like actually there are situations where violence is the only option like for example if you're fighting for your life like there is no Mm -hmm. other way out of that situation than violence and that's not something that games always feel okay with grappling with and I feel like Bioshock Infinite is a really sad and good example of a game that just ends on that facile note of like, well, actually all violence is bad and you were bad for participating in it without looking at the structures around that violence and the ways that it was enacted on different kinds of people in that game's world. It's easy to get lost because you're just thinking about the twist and like the crack multiple multiple dimensions and like there's a lot going on that it's like you don't really... It's very, I think it's very clearly reflected in some of the discussion of the protests and then the way that the protests would sometimes turn violent. Treating it as though there's some kind of equivalence between thousands and thousands of peaceful protesters and some people like breaking windows and like police officers whose whole job is to like protect the public showing up in army gear beating the shit out of people indiscriminately on the street like there's Mm -hmm. any kind of equivalence between that there just isn't and it couldn't be any clearer and I think 
you know, if Bioshock Infinite came out today, people would be like, fuck no. Like, there'd be a way stronger reaction to it, which is cool. I want to, Maddie, I want to hear about... <laughs> about Resident Evil. Um, your game, because you suggested one that I wasn't expecting, which is interesting. So I want to hear your oh, take. Oh, yeah? But it's like one of the er examples of a hero cop story that I feel like I've had to reevaluate so many times over the years because... Yeah, it makes sense. As a kid playing Resident Evil, I feel like I thought Jill Valentine was just the coolest. And there's still like a part of me that feels that way about her and I've had to seriously interrogate it in the past decade I mean, of my life. I mean, character design goes a long way. <laughs> it does go a long way, but it's also undeniable that like as a character so Jill Valentine is the heroine of several Resident Evil games and many Resident Evil heroes are cops and Jill is one of them and the reason why she enlists in the Raccoon City Police Department is explicitly to clean up the streets and, and save people from zombies, which are the threat in this game. Like it's a very mm. binary situation where the um, the American government's response to a widespread pandemic is more cops. It's it's not familiar at all, not even a little bit. And but huh. Jill is the heroine in this situation, and it's it's her job and you as the player relating to her to clean up the streets against those big bad elitist scientists whose studies just went too gosh darn far. And like those are the villains, or like this sort of perceived intellectual elite. And a lot of a lot of like anti communist stories usually are about zombies and the idea of like too many people working together and unfortunately Resident Evil has some shades of that and like this idea that there needs to be a hero cop who's going to stamp out that violent uprising of mindless masses who for some reason are attacking all that we hold dear and it's it's very black and white in that game and I feel like when Resident Evil 5 came out and it's like just a pretty explicitly racist game like people were surprised by that and they were like wow like this is a really different direction for Resident Evil to be taking and like I'm shocked by how racist this game is but in retrospect I don't feel like we should have seen it that way. I feel like we should have seen some of those signs along the way in terms of just the stories that those games were actually telling and about who gets to be a hero and also like what forces justified and like who the villains are, you know? Yeah. Worth noting, it was a series made in Japan, by the right. way. Right. Um, in Resident Evil 5, there was that sort of question of like the minute you saw primarily black people being the zombies and just getting shot like mm -hmm. it definitely like suddenly people were like oh this whole premise is kind of fucked up but it gets at another one of those things where there there can be like a, you know oh well they're not this isn't racist this isn't mm -hmm. a metaphor like they're just zombies yeah it doesn't mean anything so people with the zombie <laughs> infection like it's just a cop murdering civilians but they're zombies so like mm -hmm. that's not actually what it was and i think there are there are people <laughs> who will who will defend resident evil 5 story being like well in the end those they're per they, you know and it's it's yeah, evan is, <laughs> evan has a evan is reacting to that <laughs> two middle fingers out for those people <laughs> for yeah. anyone who people who cannot see evan right now yeah. so yeah like there's it there's always this like annoying deniability that mm -hmm. turns up where if you want to have a real conversation about what's actually happening you kind of have to reckon with it and just put down some of that stuff like yeah. some of that like oh but they were just zombies so that's not really what's going on it's just on. a game it's pretend it's a fantasy mm -hmm. can't we have fun fantasies anymore yeah. but then you see right. people out there assuming that all cops are just like the cool homicide detective that they 
we've seen on TV or played as in a video right, game, and that thing. therefore we need cops because they're all actually really good at their jobs, and how dare we deny them all of these infinite protections and Batman tanks because they need them to do their jobs, and that's like what we've seen in all of these media properties over and over and over again. Yeah, I have to wonder if we'll continue to see that, because just the last week for me, just watching videos, these like sickening videos on social media over and over and over again of the protests, it's pretty it's it's changed i mean it's changed my view and i already didn't have a super positive view of the police but seeing that shit has just been like totally mind-blowing and i think that it has been for a lot of people like it's really been a, a shift in in how i see things so i guess we'll have to see how it unfolds but this is like i said this is an ongoing conversation there is a lot more we could talk about there are like a thousand games we didn't get into because like we said so many games are about cops so we're happy to hear from listeners if you want to write in about this we are interested in what you think about police and video games or this conversation or anything else feel free to write us at triple click at maximumfun.org. We're going to take a break, but Evan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. Yay, Evan. Good seeing you guys again. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother me the hunt is on Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black, queer, feminism. Race, sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority Minority Corner. Corner. Because together, together, we're the majority. And we are back just in time for one more thing. The segment of the show where each of us talks about one more thing that we want to talk about. And Maddie, I see you're tantalizing one more thing. I'm so excited to hear about it. So why don't you go first? The people are waiting. The people are clamoring for the conclusion of whatever <laughs> happened to my my wonderful girlfriend's Nintendo Switch, which bricked itself a couple of weeks ago unceremoniously after she had logged tens and tens of hours in Animal Crossing, so many hours that she was embarrassed to even show me her playtime. And... <laughs> Her island looked amazing, and it has been lost to the ages. So here's what happened with that. Okay, what? We decided to return the broken Switch and get our money back and buy a completely new Switch, which was not that hard to do. Nintendo Switches are out there. 
it's a kind of a pain in the butt. And I ordered from an Amazon seller who seemed legit. And it turned out it was (laughs) legit because the switch arrived and it worked. But I did have to do a little bit of research. And I also don't like supporting Jeff Bezos. So I had to hold my nose and order it anyway. I didn't. It costs about the same either way. I I mean, switches now cost $500, which they ordinarily don't cost. But that's just what they Mm -hmm. cost now. However, where they're at. It was a birthday gift, and I have a job at Polygon.com, and I could afford to get my girlfriend a very nice birthday gift, and so I did. Very nice of you. I know. I'm great. I'm an incredible, incredible person. It's so true. (laughs) But so after the new Switch arrived, we hadn't returned the old one yet, and the fun thing about the old Switch was that even though it had been bricked, it actually still worked, but only in dock mode. So for a while... She could still visit her Animal Crossing island if she was, like, willing to use the big TV in the living room. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, great, like, we'll set up a new Switch, we'll make sure it works, and then we'll, like, tour your old island one more time, and then we'll, like, (laughs) mail the Switch away and send it off. This did not work, because as soon as we set up the new Switch and, like, synced her old stuff, her old island completely disappeared. Mm. And as it turns out, Animal Crossing has not yet developed the system that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, whereby you can transfer your old island to a new Switch. They are supposed to develop that later this year, but it is not yet ready. This is not a good time to have not developed that system. I know, I know. I know, so So her old island is actually gone forever, as it turns out. No. God, how can yes. Nintendo be like the best gaming developers <laughs> on the planet, but also the worst at anything involving the internet? I know. They do it this way because they don't want people to cheat at the game, which I actually understand. Like, they don't want people to be cloning items. Cheating I, in Animal Crossing is a grand tradition. Look, I know. it's. I kind <laughs> right. of understand, but it's also stupid as hell. So, like, she had to make this new island. And by this point... She's convinced herself that she likes the new island better than the old island. And she's like redone everything just the way she wants. And it's it's has a happy ending, truly. But R.I.P. Dina's old island. That island wow. is lost forever. Well, this is the stunning conclusion. I will be interested <laughs> to hear the like post credit scene of how she's yes. doing with her new island. Only because like I've long been fascinated by the sort of zen approach to losing game progress yes, and yes. game saves and that's and this a is big like her one. first really big experience right. with a, a thing about being a gamer a hardcore gamer mm-hmm. is that you might lose like hundreds <laughs> of hours of progress in right. something and then decide if you care enough to start over and especially with with something like animal crossing Yes. Although it is worth noting that I think that since she was so far in the game already, I think she was probably more at peace with losing it and starting over because she had already seen so much of the game that she could then restart and enjoy all of it all over again. But like from a lens of being like, I already know how to play this and I know exactly what I want to do. For sure. So she might have felt differently if she'd lost it like a week in as opposed to like a few weeks in. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it. It was definitely like stressful for me as a partner who's really excited about her girlfriend playing games right. more because I was like, uh, please don't let this make you think that games aren't cool because they're actually really cool. It's the video game equivalent of the first episode of the TV show that you show your yes. friend is like the worst episode they've like ever the aired. Oh, yeah, it just happens to be awesome. terrible. You and you're like, no, it. normally it's not like, it. normally switches work. My switches work right. for years. And it's like, is that even a helpful statement? No, right. it's just right. shitty. They don't always do musical episodes. Kirk, the video game equivalent of 
that is the actual video games where you have to play for 20 hours before it gets good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's funny because as kids, a lot of people who grew up with the PlayStation 1 may remember that memory cards often would just like fail on you. I played yeah. a lot of RPGs mm-hmm. that would just mm-hmm. like, one day I would just get open up the PlayStation and it would be like, all my save files are gone. And no. the young, intrepid 10-year-old of that is me <laughs> with like all the time in the world, um, I just would start replaying from the beginning. I was yeah. like, oh, cool. Why not? Somehow that never daunted you and your love for lengthy RPGs. Well, Kirk, Kirk is a proponent of replaying games. I feel like this is all part of that. It is, yeah. and I am a proponent of replaying games. I always say video games are better the second time. The thing you're saying, mm-hmm. like replaying Animal Crossing again would be cool because there are some little things like I would do layout differently knowing how yes. it was going to end up. Mm-hmm. I know Patricia Hernandez wrote an article about this, about people who had burned themselves yes, out. Yes, which I cited. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I cited and I was like, actually, my coworker Patricia wrote this article about all the different people nice, who nice. restarted their Animal Crossing games and their experiences. <laughs> and one of the people in that article also, her Switch was destroyed oh, okay, and she yeah had to like go through the morning process and like decide Mm -hmm. to get a new switch and so on Mm -hmm. i mean you know people are out there having their islands be yanked away yes but in that kind of game where you can like so kind of ruin the game for yourself by like breaking it by kind of cheating actually you know by time warping and stuff Mm -hmm. um and then you can be like you know i sort of wish i hadn't done this because now there's no joy left in this game for me and i want to start over yes though i gotta say i've been trying to restart divinity original sin 2 because of the definitive edition thing where i have to start the game all over again to get the new content and that game i'm like it's just so long that mm-hmm. I think at some point I'll do it, but I am actually struggling to start that one over. I've got a new game going, but every time I sit down with it, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I have to build this whole super complicated RPG party mm-hmm. again. And- well, that's a tough game because of its very nature. Like, it's a game that you can't just grind your way through, like, mash A through. It's a game you have to think every single step mm-hmm. of the way, like, every single battle. Mm-hmm. There are no grind battles or filler battles. So, because of that, which is a positive thing, it's also a hard game to, like, replay and jump back right, into. Right, right. The experience yeah. of replaying it is a little different. Because you really have to think. You can't just, like, watch TV and just, like, mash A while you're half mm-hmm. paying attention in Divinity. <laughs> To get to where you to, were before. To catch up to where I was. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, one day I'll replay that game, though. Uh, Jason, what is your one more thing? My one more thing is a game I've been playing for months now, since before we even started Triple Click. <laughs> Persona yeah, 5 Royal. the only game you've ever played, right? I mean, but get this. It's just Jason's only game. Get this, guys. This weekend, I finished Persona 5 Royal. <gasps> Congratulations! That means Time for New Game Plus. I have played all of Persona 5 twice. That's that crazy. That is pretty wild. How long did it take you the second? time well so my the timer i left on a few times while oh, okay. i was like doing other so stuff really so know. i don't know my timer is at like 140 hours i think more realistically i played probably like 90 100 hours of mm-hmm. the game um add another 100 from the first time i played it and it's oh just your like, timer wow. was at 140 hours i misheard you no, was yeah 140 hours <laughs> okay. is what my timer <laughs> said but i think a lot of that was oh you know 140 hours. I think a lot of that was just make me leaving the TV on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know how it goes. My Steam counter on some games is like totally yeah, out of yeah, whack. Yeah, yeah. Just because but, um, okay, so a few things. First of all, what an incredible video game. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's good. Oh, you liked it? Interesting. It's, okay. it's a really good game. Man, just the, the music and the vibe and the art style. Man, everything about mm-hmm, that game is mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. The new stuff. So it's impossible to talk about any of the new stuff without spoiling it. But I will Great. try to 
to like vaguely broadly describe it. And so basically the way it works is, and Kirk, you'll appreciate this a little more than Maddie because you finished the game. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, Akechi still has a role to play. Akechi is one of the characters who had kind of like an anticlimactic role uh, ending in the, the original game and was kind of like left underdeveloped and underserved at the end. Um, he winds up coming back in this new stuff and so he plays, a, he's developed a little bit more in a really cool way, a way that I liked a lot. Um, so the way it works is the game ends like it normally does and then there's an entire new month of stuff and in that month there's a new palace that you have to go and defeat and even just talking about the nature of the palace is a spoiler in and of itself um, but it all involves these new characters who are introduced throughout the, the entirety of Persona 5 Royal um, there's mm. uh, Kasumi who is this uh, this uh, uh, new character like she's a gymnast um, with a sword and she becomes like a party member at some point sure gymnast with a sword common yeah. uh, character archetype it's a video game yeah she has red hair red hair <laughs> Um, and then of there's course, a guidance counselor who you can like use as a confidant and go and talk to and stuff. And um, is it a hot guidance counselor? It is a hot. Everybody in this game is, is yeah, just I, very. I assumed as much. I just wanted to double check. <laughs> um, they're all anime, anime hot. Um, yeah. And so you can now like using this extra semester, you can like boost up confidants that you hadn't been, had a chance to before, which is cool. That's like you nice. can get, you can max out some of the social links you've never seen before, which I found fun. You can get some all of your party members. You can get to rank a. 11, like social link 11 which is like oh. a boosted thing that lets you evolve their persona again there's a lot of just like mechanical stuff that i didn't even bother playing mm-hmm. with um it's so long it's so grindy i was like man this is this game never ends but um but it asks it like does some interesting things in terms of storytelling now first of all don't get me wrong this is not like kirk i would never tell you to go play this again just for the new stuff like the new stuff right, is right. is cool but it's pretty thin it's not even close to being worth buying this game and playing this game again yeah. for it. It need to be on Switch and in like 2023 yeah. for me to play it again. <laughs> By then, then I and like portable in that many years, sure. But yeah, right sure, now, no, definitely. Um, but like even even if you even like I wouldn't even tell you to do it even if it was on Switch now. Like, it's not, it's really not anything special. But it's cool. It has some interesting questions about, like, happiness and the nature of, like, reality. And, like, it asks, it kind of asks you, um, well, it kind of, the the question, the fundamental question that it asks is, would you accept, like, a fake reality knowing, like, that in which your your unhappiness, your depression was cured, your problems were cured, or, or, like, your dead family members were brought back to life or whatever, um, in exchange for, knowing that like you're in a false reality and like so that you're not actually yeah, yeah. it's sort of so like it's that it's sort of it is sort of a matrixy thing um but yeah it does some interesting things um there's some nice. cool boss fights some great music some um fun moments some cool character development like i mentioned akechi and then the new character kasumi is a really really cool interesting character arc um but overall it's just like more persona it's the type of thing where like if you're a persona super fan you probably already played through this twice um but like it's built for persona super fans um but yeah i i don't know if i'm like glad that i played it all but i did play it all and yeah it was, well it was cool that happened i, I guess. mean it was cool i had been craving like when this came out i had been really craving just like really wanting to hang out in cafe leblanc again with like coffee and yeah. curry and the music and the rain and all the stuff that makes persona so great and maddie mm-hmm. if you decide to play it one day again um mm-hmm. you, you might enjoy this I'll stuff and, like you might like to appreciate I mean, it yeah 
I think it's up your alley. Yeah, I think it's very much up your alley. But um, it's just that it's a hundred (laughs) hours. You know, there are a lot of other games I also enjoy. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) It's just it never ends. And like it could have, they could have cut out like two palaces, and the game would have been perfectly fine. I mean, I can already tell that even just from the first fifteen hours that I played, which could have used some editing. Tbh, (laughs) like I I could find, I could find a few things we could have cut out from there. But the thing is, this game is made for people who just want to be like spend a hundred hours playing it. So like, and I get that. Yeah, the target audience like doesn't want the editing. They want to see every single repetition of like, oh, what are we doing now? Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're gonna do this. Oh, I love (laughs) really. Does anyone enjoy seeing the same conversations over Uh, and over again? Some people must. Is it it maybe comforting? I guess. Yeah, find the rhythm kind of comforting. Yeah, the rhythm of it. There's a big difference between hundred hour game and like a 60 hour game just like yep. there's a big difference between a 60 hour game and like a 30 40 hour game yeah like those are kind of so the tiers 40 was the first difference and 20 to 30 was i'd the say 30 difference. 40 and then like this i'm trying to i'm doing this off the top of my head no so. i'm just telling you the difference in numbers like the difference between 160 is 40 and the difference between 60 and like 30 and 40 is 20 to 30. <laughs> oh we're just doing math now yeah, I'm just okay. I'm telling you the difference. It's like, a, is it logarithmic? I'm not a mathematician. Yeah. Yeah. Where like it starts to matter less because there's been so much of it. Yeah. Like yes. that. But when you get to 100 hours, like I remember this from reviewing Persona 5. You're like, oh, this is fine. And you're like 50 hours. I remember looking at the clock and be like, oh, this is like a long game, but it's fine. When you start getting past 80 or 90 hours, especially when you're reviewing a game, it's just like, this is fucking long like i have been playing this game for so long like for my life as far as i can yeah. remember <laughs> just yeah. every did that night. happen even with the witcher also wasn't that that long also um the witcher was very very long and that was it was 80 hours the first okay. time i played it though it's really a much more than 100 hour game the second time i played it it was a lot longer but i played it over a way longer period of time okay. but yeah the first time it was the same thing i remember thinking oh this game isn't really that long and then at the end be like that game was really long just because it was like an 80 hour game which those mm-hmm. that length I mean good lord one, one other quick thing on this very topic um, I know that a lot of people out there have been wondering about my Trails habits these days I just wanted to update everybody I was okay. playing Trails of Cold Steel 2 I decided finally it was so much of a slog it was like never ending it did all the things that you guys are talking about including the thing I just mentioned about the conversations like oh we have to do this oh everybody having to chime in oh we're doing yeah. this oh we're doing mm-hmm. this. Um, so I decided, fuck it, I'm going to read a recap of Trails of Cold Steel 2 and just skip to Great. 3, because nice. I just got a code for 3 on my Switch, so I have done it. I've pulled the trigger, watched watched some recaps. I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, there are a lot of twists at the end of this game. And also, and also this. Recognize, like the game really never ended. Like where I, I thought I was near the end, I was not even near the end, so I'm very glad I did Sounds this. like a JRPG to me. Yep, yep. Um, Alright, Kirk, what's your one more thing? So my one more thing is a different tabletop game that I played the video game version of with my tabletop group. And uh, it was pretty fun, and I wanted to just talk about it a little bit. So that game is a card game called Sentinels of the Multiverse, which I have talked about on this show before. It's a very fun, cooperative game that is essentially... Um, like knockoff comic book characters. So everyone, there's like kind of a Batman type and a cap, yeah. you know, it's, he's a superhero, a Superman type. And you have a, each hero is like a deck of cards. And then the villain is just a deck that auto plays itself. So everybody playing gets to play a hero and you're in like some setting. You change the setting depending on where you're playing. And that's a deck of cards too that plays as you go around. And it's kind of like you have to figure out how to combine your superpowers and abilities to fight this super villain and their evil minions and save the world. And we've 
I've got the card version of this, and I've played that with my group, and there is a version of this on Steam. That's the video game version. And we decided to play it, because we'd been playing uh, Lords of Waterdeep, which is kind of like a... You're kind of siloed in that game. Like, you're just building your strategy by yourself. So we would be playing it, and we'd be in the Zoom call or whatever. We're on Discord, I guess. Can you play it, by the way, with only one person having Steam, or does everybody... Or only one person has to have the game, or does everybody... Both of these games, everybody needs to own the game. So in order to play it on Steam. Obviously, in in real life, just one person can own it. Um, But we... When we were playing Lords of Waterdeep, we were finding it's it's a really cool game. It's very crunchy, but we weren't talking a lot, just because... A lot of the time, you're just looking at this very complicated board and trying to figure out your strategy, and there's no mm-hmm. need for you to communicate with other people, really. So occasionally, you'll like play a card that kind of impacts somebody else, and they'll be like, "Ah, oh, hey, like you know, up yours or whatever." But that's kind of it. So there's a lot of just silence as we played, and it wasn't that fun socially. So I, we we decided to try Sentinels because that's cooperative, and it was really cool. Like that aspect of it was great. The thing that I noticed about this game is. Playing a video game version of a game that you know that you've played the analog version of is weird because it's so efficient and so fast that the rhythm of the game is completely different. And Sentinels was very that way. Like every time we play Sentinels, you spend a lot of time reading the cards and the cards are really cool and you kind of are talking through what's going on. And we're not ultra familiar with it too. And each game is kind of different. So you're like, okay, wait, what's happening here? All right, does that count as this? Like, who is this guy doing? Okay, we played this card. What does it say? Can I read it? Can you read it again? There's a lot of that stuff. Where in the video game version, it's like, go. And then just like, 40 things happen. Like the entire villain turn plays out in about five seconds and you're all taking damage from stuff and it's like, whoa, 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 like what happened? So (laughs) it took us a while because we hadn't played in a while to just like remember the rules of the game and be like, wait, Mm -hmm. what just happened? Like, why did I get a nemesis bonus when I did the, oh, because I'm his nemesis because like that's how that works. And you don't even have the rule book there. You're not handing it around. So it was such a different experience. That's so funny. I don't know if I would, I would say if anyone is going to play this game, which is very fun to play with a group of friends, especially like kind of, it's like mid-level in terms of crunchiness, like kind of mm-hmm. game friends who are into like nerdy stuff. It is great and worth playing, but I would say still watch like a YouTube tutorial on the tabletop version yeah. first. So you huh. can see people playing it and have them lay the cards out for you and explain the rules so that then when stuff happens in the blink of an eye in the video game version, you can like at least understand how things are happening. But it was cool. It's so funny you're saying this because I've been playing online poker with, with some friends. That is like, exactly what I was thinking because oh, you keep funny. inviting me to it. Yeah, and I well, feel like guys, it's going to be weird as hell because I've never played. You guys both have a standing poker. invitation to come right. play. No, right. Kirk doesn't. Only I do. <laughs> Just an uninvited. <laughs> but yes, the way it works is we've been using poker stars. And the way it works is there's like... a. It, it just goes so efficiently. The cards move so fast that you don't even have time mm-hmm. to absorb like a dramatic like turn so or river or whatever. It is, yeah. It's 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 good and bad. It's like bad yeah. for really dramatic hands where it's like yeah. what just happened. Like you don't get to dramatically lay down your cards yeah. or whatever and mm. shuffle the coins around the table. It's nice <laughs> when there's a time limit on every hand and like sometimes when you're playing in real life, people will get distracted and it'll be like, come on, man. Like a, a hand might take 10 minutes and like you'll barely right, right, play right. or it'll take hours and hours. Sure. With, because it moves so quickly, we can actually like limit our games and we wind up capping them to like two and a half hours or three hours max, which is much mm-hmm. shorter than like a typical poker game in real life so that has its its pros yeah um, the t- there's a time saving aspect even with sentinels where the game was just a lot shorter which is kind of yeah. nice like we got done just a little earlier and we could go do our thing yeah yeah so but yeah it's it's funny how a lot of those inefficiencies of a tabletop game just the 
this time spent rule wrangling and looking at mm-hmm. things and reading over the, in, the instructions is uh-huh. like kind of a vital part of the experience. And when you remove it, yeah. it does significantly change what you're doing, even though the game is basically yeah. the same. That's uh, and I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, before we say goodbye, I just have a quick random question for you guys. So I'm, okay. I'm curious as to like, like, are you guys have you guys thought about seeing friends or like making plans with friends? Because my wife and I are actually we just planned a trip where we're going to go away for a week with like a couple friends of ours and we're just gonna like be extra careful expanding your pod we're gonna be extra careful a couple weeks beforehand and we're just like because we're just like how much longer is this gonna go like we'll be careful like we'll probably get tested beforehand just to be safe i'm curious have you guys thought about doing anything like that because it feels like if we're waiting for a vaccine it might be literally two years before we like get a vaccine so at a certain point we're all just gonna have to decide what risks we're gonna take well Massachusetts has sort of started some reopening procedures and I think is going to wait and see how it goes. And so I've sort of been following along with that because that's where I live. And my girlfriend and I both did like socially distant picnics, like with our parents, like I, she and I drove to her parents' house and like did a socially distant picnic there. And then we drove to my parents' house and did the same thing. Um, So I think more people are doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I am not yet at the stage of like wanting to go on a trip with another couple, but I also get why one might be at that stage and that's fine and I think we'll all just see how it goes in a few months which is a sad thing to say but I think it's the only way we'll know how it's really going Mm -hmm. what about you Kirk yeah we've been uh, we've been going to some friends houses who have like backyards and we'll bring Appa over and she runs around and we'll sit kind of you know, safe distance from one another and hang out. And it's been really, really nice just to see yeah. our friends. It sure would be nice if I didn't live in New York City. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that, that's a nice thing about living somewhere with yards. Have you considered not living in a major metropolitan area? <laughs> yeah. Like Imagine Kirk and that. I yeah. don't. So. There's some things to recommend it. So to what you were saying, Jason, we we have been talking to some couple a couple of friends about, we just floated the idea of doing just what you were saying and being really yeah. safe and going on a trip. And just the feeling of there being something on the calendar yeah. to look that's forward exactly to. That's exactly it. That is exactly was it. Was so yeah. like emotional emotionally intense like I was like I this is the greatest feeling um and I wasn't expecting that it's like it just felt like I've been living in a world with no future for so long because yep. everything got Every canceled day is the same that yeah. was wonderful and I was like that was worth it on its own even if we don't wind up going like just the feeling of <laughs> like knowing. looking at July and thinking yep. I'm gonna do something one weekend with some friends we're gonna go to a national park and like walk around in the woods like that alone was was really great yes. so yeah, yeah. That, that's yes, where yes, I'm yes, at. Yes, yes. yeah I'm curious to hear from listeners what their plan is like long term in the next few months like if they're gonna yeah, yeah. start relaxing things for themselves if they're gonna wait for their states to give orders what what, what mm-hmm. are people gonna do especially US people because I know that in every country has kind of its own guidelines and obviously the three mm-hmm. of us are in the US yeah right in with that and uh, I'll be curious to hear sort of how you're all how you're all doing with it all right well that is our episode thank you everybody for listening thanks jason and maddie that was fun and thanks to evan for coming on to talk with us as well we will be back very soon with more triple click until then i'll talk to you both later goodbye bye Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.